Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 165 with my guest, percussionist Elliot Wallace. Elliot was, I met Elliot actually at SOCI uh, in our very first year. Elliot was one of the few folks who uh, took a chance on us, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful, and it was nice to catch up with Elliot. Um, Elliot also grew up in uh, near the same town that Eric grew up in, in North Canton, Ohio, um, and so he and I bond a little bit over our Midwestern Ohio uh, roots. Um, Elliot is an amazing drum set player. I really highly recommend that you check him out. Um, his stuff's on, on Facebook, I believe. Uh, and an all-around lovely guy. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's always nice to get caught up with students and, and hear what they're doing. So without further ado, this is Elliot Wallace. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Elliot Wallace. Um, before we get going here, um, I want to apologize to you um, because... We're doing this podcast for many reasons. You're, I have a I have a sticky note with like a list of every like when I see somebody like oh I want to talk to them I just write it down and the sticky note has like 175 names on it so you're on there um, nice. I, you know in no particular order but um, I wanted to apologize to you first because I personally um, I think the day that we connected online um, was I was having a particularly rough day um, just. I'll say I have a lot of anxiety around social media communication and the way people do talk or don't talk or the way just communication in general in that form to me, like I've I've been fascinated as to why, like I have no problem talking on the record, unedited, having conversations (laughs) with anybody. But as soon as I get online, I feel like I clam up and I'm trying to ask myself like what the reasons are. Why is it? Is it because of some trauma? Am I a wuss? Like what are all the, I'm a 40 year old man who I feel like, is a good person, you know, but you, uh, I was having a lot of anxiety that day about something that was going on. And then I just, by the grace of God, your post was like, like slid by me and I just lost it. And I apologize. It was, I wasn't yeah. like mad, but I was just like, I knew you, you were at yeah. Sosi. I've known you for eight years now or whatever it is. And I was like, if Elliot played a drum part for me, that sounded the way what he just wrote sounded, I would. Pro- I wouldn't get mad at him. I would just be like, "Bro, let's dig in a little deeper here." Like, I think you. I think you're hiding something, and I don't know what it is. But like, as your teacher in the drum world, let's do that. And I had a weak moment because that's not the place for me to reach out and teach, you know. So I just was. I don't remember what I said to you, Elliot. I was like, "What?" <laughs> I don't. I don't, yeah, I don't remember no. what my comment was. Well, and, I put a very black and white statement. It wasn't. It wasn't very deep, and I. I know that. So, it's, but yeah. But that's but how again, it goes. it's not yeah. your obligation. You're not obligated to be deep to meet my anxiety that day you know what i mean but anyway i I reached out i said something and then you responded with like a really long post that laid out every one of your views and i was like oh i don't disagree with a single one of those (laughs) i think we just disagree maybe on some of the plans to get from point a to point z but every one of these i'm 100 percent on the boat you know and i I was like why okay there's something weird here but anyway elliot's a great dude an amazing drummer who like managed like somehow was willing to put himself in canon with himself just because I asked, you know, like, 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 so anyway, I just wanted to apologize up front that, um, I don't think that's the way I ever want to communicate with people. And I apologize if like me reaching out that way was, was in any way and felt, uh, aggressive on my behalf. So that's where I wanted to start. I have another prompt to get us going, but I just wanted to sort of get your reaction. I apologize for that's the way that this podcast came about, but. No, I thought, I thought it was actually kind of nice to, to be able to, um, have that back and forth. I don't mind being prodded like that. Cause I, I know sometimes I I'll say some sort of blanket statement that doesn't really dig into what I'm actually thinking. 
Um, and I think that's kind of the way that the world is working right now in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're in the hashtag land where we have three words or four words that, to try to infer an entire ideology. And it's just not a, it's not as simple as that. So mm-hmm. it's totally fine to, to prod and to find out more. And I thought you did exactly what you said made sense. I didn't, I mean, I think I remember that too. Um, cause my answer to you was also kind of short, but I think it was like, there's no justifying anything. It's just kind of like I was on my phone. So I was like, yeah, I, well, was sh- short answer. And then I came up with a long one well, where I could type on a keyboard. And that's so, why well, I wanted to apologize to you yeah. because like, I feel like there's a little bit of the, um, I'm trying to check my rage day to day and be like, is this drive by rage? Like, am I just, am I road raging right now? Like I see Elliot in the car beside me say something <laughs> and I'm just like, fuck you, you know, like, and then I just drive away and I don't actually mean that or feel that about you. Dude, I love having those moments with people. I know I definitely had a honk off with someone I knew the other day. <laughs> we're at the internet. We're at the intersection. We're like, dude, go. And I was like, Oh, Hey, I know you. <laughs> and then we like called. It was like, Hey, well, nice to see you. Well, um, yeah. the, the, you know, and I don't know whether, uh, I will also say I might be triggered because the name Wallace for me is also very closely tied to your, uh, your your better your lesser half Dorian, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who has also been yeah. on my podcast. Um, yeah. But anyway, just all that aside, um, I please I didn't want you to read anything into the that statement no, as no, thank, thanks for saying something. Yeah, more than it was. Um, but that said, maybe we can get to some of that stuff later if you want. Uh, if we, again, like this podcast, I don't have an agenda past just sort of like wanting to get to know the person I'm talking to as coach better. Um, and where we go. We go. So, and also an hour is zero amount of time to do anything really in depth. Even as though I love nuance, it's like after an hour, like we barely scratch the surface. So let's not feel like we have to get anywhere other than this. Let's start with Elliot. You're from Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Correct. Um, we're both Ohio boys and grew up. Uh, did you grow up in Wadsworth? I grew up in Canton, North Canton. Okay. So well, yeah. Eric, did you know Eric at all? Uh, no, he was a, I was a little above me and, um, uh, I think he's a couple years older than me, so uh, we never crossed paths. Okay. So. Did you go to the same high school as he did? Uh, no, he went to the neighboring high school. So I went to North Canton City, and then he was in Canton, I think. Okay. So, um, but you're from Ohio. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about like Baby Elliot to like give me the five dollar nickel and dime tour or five five minute nickel and dime tour that got you from Baby Elliot to Elliot to this podcast, and then I'll maybe divert us and ask questions as we go. Uh, sure. Um, well, my my parents are both musicians, so uh, if that matters. But I'm the last of – my mother's a piano teacher, and my father was a choral conductor. And uh, I was the last of six, so I was sort of the – I didn't really have a lot of <laughs> drive, so to say. I, I didn't. I wasn't accountable for much because I was the last of six. What are you going to do? So, like, <laughs> all through all through school, I didn't really do school. I don't, I don't think I did any homework from, like – grade two to to uh, whatever senior 12 mm-hmm. and then one I actually made the connection of like oh I actually don't want to screw myself over I want to get I want to go to college <laughs> for something mm-hmm. and uh so I, I kind of pulled it together that last year um and did a lot of <laughs> this remedial like computer stuff I don't know it was just yeah get through it and um so the drumming thing kind of started for me um it's actually more in like just through listening. I was like really into music and I was like listening to Slipknot a lot on the bus and uh, just got drawn to the drums. I found like a bass drum in my basement. So I started playing on that thing. This was like 
I don't know, middle of high school or something. Mm-hmm. So I started kind of playing and, um, were you in band programs? Yeah, but I, I played the saxophone in the band program oh, and, okay. uh, just because of like my unaccountability, I didn't really foster any good connections there. I, it wasn't like the teachers are great and stuff. It just was kind of, um, I was just floating through it. I remember like I couldn't read music or anything. So, um, I remember playing saxophone by ear from the people around me, mm-hmm. um, and getting called out by like, they would do memory tech checks in the marching band or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they were like, all right, play your part. Okay, good. You got it. Play your part. Oh, cool. And then he was like, play your part. And he was like, you're playing the tenor saxophone part. Why are you playing that when you're playing alto sax? Like, Cause that's like, what the tenor saxes were playing. <laughs> I was like, they're right there. I don't know. <laughs> so I just faked my way through and he was like, where's your music? And I was like, I don't know. You, did you just go is. like this? Did you go right here? Right here. <laughs> got it. Yeah. In my heart, sir. In my yeah. heart. Yeah. So I, yeah, definitely sort of faked my way through that. And then, uh, college was a totally random choice. It was like, I didn't, I rolled the dice, um, took a couple drum lessons. To, I mean, I was playing drums and I took lessons from a teacher, but we were, it was all kit and we didn't really do a lot of the well, let me classical ask, stuff. Let me ask you real quick, just sorry to interrupt. Um, I, yeah. there's, there's, you mentioned that you're like, I didn't know how to read music and you sort of like threw that aside and moved on. And I, I, you know, I, I went to, and so did Eric, um, although Eric played piano when he was younger, I had a very typical, like very healthy I'm doing what I'm doing because of my public school education, mm-hmm. in particular music education. And I think the steel drums, like Dover High School, was an outlier. I think at the time when I was there, like there's way more steel band programs now than there used to be, for yeah. and for good reason. Um, but I didn't really know. I mean, I know how to read rhythms, but I didn't know how to read pitches until I was a senior in high school. And I went to to Joan Wenzel and I said, I I uh, would like to major in music, and she's like, You need to be able to read it. And I, I was like, what? And it like, you know, I, yeah. the bell parts were played by the girls in the section. Like it was the, it was the sort of, um, not, not in the bad stereotypical way. It was just the way things were, you know, I couldn't mm. read music. It wasn't a, like I was, I was actively avoiding it. And I was just being the toxic male in the room and be like, no, I yeah. will play bass drum. No, I was super insecure. I couldn't read it. And Casey could. So I was like, Casey, why don't you play this, please? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get called out for not knowing how to read pitches. Um, and so I had to cram for like two months learning like all Cowsy grass, you know, all of that stuff. And then I had memorized my audition stuff. And mm-hmm. both places at the University of Akron, Ohio University and at Ohio State, they put up sight reading. And I just said, nope. <laughs> and I just said, fail me. Like I, or, or like, don't yeah. accept me. I, like, I literally can't do this. Um, and it's like, it's interesting that you like, how did you deal with the mu- music literacy part to get into college or was there like, or was that, or did you somehow manage to, how did you work around that? I guess is what I'm asking. Um, well, I, short stories, I didn't, I kind of failed my first audition and didn't get accepted. Ah, where um, was that? and Akron, okay. that was the only place I auditioned. So I didn't really plan. Like I said, I was just rolling down. I was just like, uh, like I didn't really have a plan. So I was kind of just going, you know, who else auditioned at Akron? Eric. Uh, who? Eric. Oh, Eric did nice. That's funny. Yep. Larry. Larry That's... drives a uh, drives a tough ship over there. You know, he's, he's very yeah. very critical of who he lets in. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you can't let those people in. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I I took like a lesson. I remember getting the audition sheet. I didn't. I was. I said out loud what the f is a marimba. I didn't know what it was. So mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't. I was like, why do I have to learn a timpani thing and. So I sort of took a lesson from some music ed student at Kent State. Mm-hmm. And later down the road, I found out she 
played flute and didn't know anything about marimba. So it was kind of an odd choice, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, my audition was a total failure. It was, a, it was pretty great. Like I walked in thinking, I, I was like, yeah, I can play Coloss or whatever. And Doc, Doc Snyder was like, oh, Coloss, and he sang the first two bars. And I was like, oh. Wait, you were like, that's Coloss? <laughs> and I was like, dirt, dirt, dirt. You know, I played it super slow. And he was just like, he just sat there and like, just like waited for me to just do it and i was like this is awful it was this not his first, it was not the first time he's heard colas poorly i'm sure so like yeah. <laughs> he wasn't going to get invested in the drama of that he was like well, well let's get this over with <laughs> <laughs> he just waited and he was like where's middle c and i was like i don't know i don't know anything about what i'm looking at right now so but yeah i mean eventually he, he sort of took me uh, he, i took lessons with dudak mm-hmm. then um and so then i actually just found my first piece of paper dudak gave me the other day it's like green exercises uh, just scales and um, a couple stick control pages and stuff like that. So, so you came in the Ohundra program at, at Akron. Is yeah, that right? that's what it is. Can, yeah. you, can you explain that a little bit? I think um, you know the Ohundra program is a level is a, something that I think it exists on some level at most universities. There is sort of I don't want to say remedial, but there's a there's a level below being an official music major where you can get lessons and stuff. But I feel mm-hmm. I think Larry in particular, from what I've seen, has integrated the Ohundra level as a really serious. Uh, like feeder system to the university program. Um, you're not the only person that I know that has come out of the Ohio program and then gone on to be like really successful and do really great work. So I feel like Larry in particular does a good job at the university with that. Yeah, he does do a good job. I mean, it's the, I think it's a good way of, first of all, being able to accept more people. And, but um, the whole idea is it ha- it's more of a, so- a social thing, like mm. going to a college for that. I think you're, yeah you're experiencing the socialization of having good people all, all around you. Like, uh, again, looking back to the, the audition day, I remember seeing like the back of somebody through and through the practice room and seeing sticks, like four mallets. And I just saw the sticks like sticking out like this. And I had no idea what was going on. I was like, what is that guy? Like, you know, mm-hmm. and then, so, um, that then, just being able to hang out around all those people and ask them questions. And, and then it kind of made the process easy. So by the time you had to audition again, um, so you, yeah, I guess the basic idea is you don't get in, but you get in, uh, you just have to take an audition to get into the 100, which is freshman level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that it t- takes like a semester if you work hard and just <clears throat> learn your scales and stuff. It's not like an, an impossible task for people that actually do the time and figure it out. Well, how much was, how much do you think just the simple aspect of like, let's say the pro let's, let's take the university of Akron as a good example here and say, let's, let's pretend Larry had done it differently where you, you get accepted in the hundred level. Um, except you don't socialize with the department. Like maybe you're taking math classes, you're doing all the other things, but you're just taking private lessons once a week and then you have a jury. And then, then like for you, what would you, what do you feel would be the difference in the studio? Um, yeah, I mean, you'd have a lot more floaters, you'd have more people to sort of get in and take some lessons and show up not practicing. And, uh, I mean, and even for, for people who are motivated, uh, to, to do it, that it was hard because you'd walk into the hall, there's like a hallway. I mean, you know, the hallway, but Mm -hmm. there's a hallway with like a door and it's just a, a narrow hallway 
And if you don't know any of those people, you walk to it and there's like 40 people just all crammed in there. Mm -hmm. You see like a dude getting humped. You're like, you're like, I don't want to go in there and get humped by someone. It's, <laughs> like, very, I don't know. Yeah, it's like a, it's a weird, it's like a weird, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, the, the conversation around diversity and, and, uh, you know, gender diversity and all this stuff in, in, in music is an important one. Mm -hmm. And I just keep thinking of like, listen, I think we do want that and, I just like I just keep thinking of my time at the University of Akron, and I'm like, you know, it's just a little messier sometimes than, <laughs> than just saying like let's throw because sometimes that hallway is really thin, and then Ron Martin's there, and Adam yeah. Wells is there, and there's like there's a whole the cast of characters can get pretty weird, and yeah, you can look down that hallway and make a make a snap judgment about what's happening down there. Yeah, except. In my experience, there, listen, there were low moments for sure that <laughs> were I to go back, I would I would re-say something or whatever. But I would say the general sense – I mean, have you ever been in the military? Uh, no. And has, I have a story about that. <laughs> has, your, has your brother? He's done, he does the National Guard, man. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. like there were some folks in the National Guard. Like Adam Wells is in the National Guard um, whenever I was in school. Um, there was one other – person i can't remember who it was but there i have some other friends who are in the military and there's this sense of like real camaraderie like you never those not everybody but almost to a person when you're that closely tied to somebody yes there's all the complications and weirdnesses and inappropriate things but there's another camaraderie that comes from that that you can't really replicate without have it being forced into close quarters with each other. Yeah, there's know? something about just being like squished together. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I, I guess it's foxhole bonding or, um, but yeah, even, even today I will walk through, you know, going to going on the subway or whatever. I, I still feel like my early socialization mm. to being packed crowds. Was I know like it's <laughs> trying to get to the office. I was I, like, oh, I just want to get there. Like, I feel like being in that hallway trained me to be on a subway car. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> you're always going to be touching somebody. It's always, always going to be coughing on you, you know, it's good training. Yeah. Well, so, so, um, moving forward. So you got, you went through your time at the inverse background. You sort of, you, you pop out of the O Hunter program, you re-audition, you get in, and then you get into the steel band world. And um, eventually you graduated and went to the Hart School. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about – and then you mentioned you had a military story. But in, oh, yeah. Get, get to that when you, when you like. But yeah. um, So what happened next? How did the next sort of chunk of time go? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, the like I said, it was kind of like just trying to get literate was the, the hardest thing for me. So going to the Hart was – a nice extension of Akron because they have a world music program as well. And that was the thing at Akron. I felt like I did. <laughs> I never, I never had any like hard times learning it. And I always felt like the social thing was cool. And like all the people you meet through it are, are just amazing people. And, and um, yeah, I also feel like it's a good way to sort of diversify your, your opinion or your like mindset and mm -hmm. worldview um, just to see what other people are doing. And, and and you know that more than anyone, but it's like the, or more than not more than anyone. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I definitely don't know, know it more than anyone, but I, I have been, it is, a, it is, it's not lost on me. What, a, what just even, even if your steel band is all white, you know, yeah. it, you know, just having, having that there sort of put cracks a door open wide enough where people, and if you're, you know, as a teacher for, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to teach if it's for 40 years. Like, I feel like my, it's like that, that scene in, um, in uh, Game of Thrones with, with Hodor, you know, like, 
<laughs> oh, you didn't watch? You don't watch Game <laughs> of Thrones? Watch, no, I, I watched like a there's lot. There's a of there's it, a scene yeah. where like like you're ju- like it's like hold the door, you know, and there's a there's you know. Oh yeah. My okay, job yeah. is to sort of keep those doors open, and with the steel band, it's like I can yeah. crack that door open, and behind it is Trinidad and Brooklyn and all those other things, mm-hmm. and you can do the same with you know an Away drumming group. You can do the same with an Embira group. You know, Greg Beyer with the Barenbow Ensemble, like. You can only give like I can only teach somebody so much about steel band culture. I'm from Ohio and I grew up in a cornfield. Like I'm only yeah, going mean, to be able to get you so much to the what uh, at, at the point at which a student I'm going to push that I'm going to just going to shove them through the door and be like get on the subway and go to Brooklyn now. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm done. I don't know what else to tell you. You need to go have corn soup in a pan yard. That's <laughs> the next assignment. You know. Yeah, I feel like the the best thing about it too is like every single instrument that you play at all has at least an entire culture mm-hmm. that's of people that's just devoted their entire lives to playing it. Like there's a Wiro, there's Wiro players who only do that. And then there, you know, there's Pandero players who only do that. And we're just as like a as percussionist trying to freelance or whatever, you're, you're sort of like just touching it. You're not, you're not like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have some things that I've specialized in a way, but like in terms of like, um, going as far as the masters like i i don't i think there's maybe two things that i could do like at a near near that but not even you know it's like i'm kind of bumping on the bottom there yeah like i know how so, to get in i know how to get in the like like if 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 the guero if the basic like beer rip that beer was yeah. if that if that was like a like a like one of those like like a nascar or something like a really fast you got to have a high level like i can get in and start it up yeah, <laughs> but once you press so, the like, there are other people who can turn that thing at 200 miles an hour. I'm just not that person. Yeah, yeah. there's there's guys that like this is my instrument. This is what I play. Mm-hmm. I do this all. This is my way in, and I, I play this thing. So hearing, it's like, a, hearing a virtuoso cuica player from like a like a true Brazilian uh-huh. you know, group is like whoa. Like is somebody talking or is that a cuica? Like I don't. I can't so, actually tell. Such a gorgeous instrument, and it's like the yeah. I mean, they're all amazing. That's like anyway. So the 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 bridging to heart was kind of like an Akron extension because they had a steel band. They had a Ben, uh, ben, Toth, thing. Used, ben Toth is an Akron grad as well. Yeah. And the, the, it was a different, different atmosphere by a lot. And by the, what the time I got there, um, they had the year before they had like three DMA students, two master's students or like, mm-hmm. you know, but they were all in the second years and then they had a bunch of seniors and like no sophomores so mm-hmm. so i was like first year masters with myself and two other guys no one above us like no hierarchy there so mm-hmm. we were the top but like without any pre- preparation ben, like, ben was, like bro i can't even read music so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. toth was like yeah i mean we had like freshmen just like playing marimba like <laughs> i was like playing like these etudes you know yeah and um so and then all, there was like a bunch of freshmen and like a few seniors, but they were all doing student teaching. So suddenly we had all this responsibility and Toth was so, Ben Toth was so used to the, the studio running like clockwork. Mm-hmm. And then we just like stuck a wrench in that thing. <laughs> we were like, he was like telling us to do stuff and we just like wander and like, it was, I don't know where that is. And he's like, he's like shaking. It's like, come on guys, just. <laughs> we did figure it out, but it, it, yeah, it was yeah. a little bit of hard love. To make Are you a happen. teacher? Have you ever done any teaching? Yeah, I teach a couple community colleges and high schools. And, and have you uh, called any of your former teachers to apologize? Uh, I have never <laughs> apologized. Elliot? Elliot? Yeah, I should probably do Elliot? that. Elliot? 
Is it a good idea? It's a great idea. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good plan. <laughs> you don't need to like. You don't need to like like flog yourself. Just call and be like, "Hey, I don't know if you remember me. I'm Elliot. I, I'm sorry." And then you can hang yeah. up. It's okay. You don't need it's to just go like, further. Just <laughs> make it right. You know, make it right. Yeah, no, it's it's a. They were they're all. I think it's all the relationships turned out good in the end, but there mm-hmm. was a, a little bit of the wide eyed, like not really knowing how to do things in a, in a timely fashion, like, hey, hey, take that thing off the shelf and put it on the other shelf. And it took me three days. to, You know, just like, I'm like, what was I doing? Like, I don't know what I was, what did I do between those two points? Like, just not, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough. You probably went yeah, practiced, was, you know. Yeah, I practiced a lot, actually. So I was, that was like mostly what I was doing. And I, I was so into that. And I was kind of stuck in this like tunnel vision of just like eh, practicing all the time. So yeah, but I mean, it, it it definitely, like, it was a really good experience. Ben was an awesome teacher, and they have a really cool program there where um, they have, like, a teacher rotation. Mm-hmm. So um, the first, they have, like, a, an African drumming teacher and a Cuban percussionist and a Brazilian percussionist and a Shane Shanahan, who's the, the mm-hmm. um, uh, Middle East drummer and... Um, who else? Uh, they got this guy, Ted Pilsecker, who's a mm-hmm. vibes player. And uh, so, yeah, you just take a year of lessons. It's like January to January. So Dave, Dave Samuels, I mean, Dave, he passed away, but Dave Samuels yes. used to teach uh, like improvisation. I, I never took any of the class, but Murray Mass was telling like improvisation through like Bach and things like that, um, which was, mm-hmm. sounded really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really cool thing. And, and, and that actually was probably one of the biggest thing. I mean, Toth was amazing and I, I learned a lot of marimba rep and all, all that stuff mm-hmm. but the uh the i really those i valued those lessons a lot and um like the cuban percussion with john amira i i feel like i, I took so mike Spiro came to akron so many times and i had a lot of i had a lot of respect for the instrument i had a lot of for congas and i had a lot of like um sort of knowledge of history in terms of what he had told me but i'd never really like come to appreciate it in the in the, in the full spectrum. And I still have a lot to do, obviously, but the, um, John was like the first guy who, who kind of made it just like felt, I felt my brain like expand with him. And I, it was one of the, I mean, that that's the example of finding a teacher that, that works for you. Like, and I, I love Spyro and all the stuff he's taught me. Um, but it, it, you know, John was like, he said two words and I just walked around the whole week thinking about, you know, thinking about those two words. It so, is fascinating yeah. to me. I mean, I think of like, if I had to, <clears throat> when somebody says who changed your life as a teacher, like that, I mean, if I ask that question to you, I don't know how your brain works, but my, you know, my brain, my lizard brain just immediately throws up like three images that I can't stop, you know? And I can think, of, I mean, there's more than three, but like, um, Joan Wenzel comes to mind. Um, Larry Snyder, Cliff Alexis, uh, Joan Panetti, um, who was a theory teacher, music theory teacher, listening. She called it listening or uh, hearing is what it, what she called it. Uh, as like a music theory ear training class. Yeah, at Yale, and she was. Um, nice. <clears throat> I had this. You know, I I went the talk when you were talking about like your the things you go to school and you see somebody holding four mallets and you're like what? <laughs> My first week at Yale, I showed up and you know I. You know, North. Growing up in the part of Ohio where we grew up, going to some place like Yale, there's a different, there's a class difference. 
you know, people from Dover, Ohio do not go to Yale. And it, it's yeah. not like people from – not like I grew up and people around me were like, never go to Yale. It's an elitist institution. It was just this thing that just was like, that's where other people go. Like, there's just no way, you know. Uh-huh. And so I went into Yale with a lot of insecurities of like, what am I supposed to be doing here? You know, like what – uh, I don't recognize this water, this pool, these fish. I don't know anybody here. And my first ear training class with, or hearing class with Joan, um, we were, she had studied with Messian and she's like, we're going to start today with a quartet for the end of time. And I, she's like, how many of you in here know this, know this piece? And everybody raised their hand except for me. And she stopped and she's like, you don't know this piece. And I was like, I have no idea wh- who this is or what this is. She's like, bird songs, nothing. I was like, nope. And she goes, after class, you, me, my office. And I was like, motherfucker. Like, I'm not even three days into New Haven. And I already, like, I should just go back. Like, it's okay. I'll just go back. Larry's nice. The steel band's great. I'll just play. It's fine. It's fine. I'll go back, you know. So after the class, um, you know, people snickered in the class. And, and you know, I didn't know anybody. And um, Joan takes me to her, class, her to her office. And we sit down there and she... She gets a record out, and it's a it's a recording of Quartet for the End of Time. And she's like, sit there. And she had this big couch in her de- in her office, and we sat there. And she came and sat right beside me, shut her eyes, and just narrated the whole thing for me. Like, oh, my God. And this is the part where when he was te- – he would tell me the stories of when he was writing this in the concentration camp. Um, and here's the part where – like, this is the thing nobody talks about. And, oh, my God, this is so – and she's like, I just wanted you – I wanted to be the first person to escort you through this piece. And I thought to myself, like – whoa that is like she takes such responsibility for me in my ignorance of this issue and she could have lit me on fire and i think that maybe this is why i react to things online the way i do is like i've had my first interaction where i could have been torched (laughs) in public i was i was sort of put in a nice comfy pillow and escorted out of the danger zone and and grown in solid you know in a vacuum with her she really really um, groomed me to think about stuff like that and it just changed my life, you know? And it's like this idea that sometimes teachers, I don't think she knew in that moment what she was doing for me. I don't think she knew that she was going to change the way I look at soci students and the way I, you know, when I see a soci student who comes in the room and has no idea who Steve Reich is, what's my role in that moment? Is my role to be like, you idiot. Don't you know who we are? Don't you know where our, we've spent 15 years playing Steve Reich and you don't know who that is. Um, anyway, just to like, it's for you, um, it's just interesting that like you had studied like Spyro is one of those people for me too. But for you, someone unlocked that key by what were the two words that he said to you? Uh, honestly, it's more of the concept of uh, how to play the sounds. Um, mm. Just the concept of a flat hand versus a curved hand. Yeah. Nobody had said that to me, huh. and I was like, oh, duh. I was like, <laughs> it made sense. Like I was like, oh, I, now I can do it. Great. Now I can play all the sounds I need to on command without having yeah. to think about it. Yeah. But then it just took somebody just saying it in a very simple uh, kind of physics way, as opposed mm-hmm. to like a, a, a philosophical way. Like yeah. I love, I love philosophy, but like it's physics. I, I, I think my brain is kind of literal in terms of like thinking of the physics of things. Mm-hmm. And, and just, uh, I mean, not, not even a mathematical sense, but geometric and um, yeah. just like rebound and all that kind of um, balance points and, and just things like that. That's how, 
my brain works. And so he just tapped into that thing that made sense to me. And it's a simple thing. It wasn't like a worldview in that, in that case, but just a way to access the sounds that I've I've been listening to. I've been playing with people. I've been, Mm. you know, I love um, some of my favorite music comes from uh, like the Haitian tradition and all this stuff. So it's like that. It's just one of those things that I was already listening to it, but I like didn't have a way to access it myself yeah. um just through the sound world yeah and he, he kind of fixed it in a, in a in two words and i was like oh okay i mean it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's something as a teacher like i i don't know what your experience is but when i get done teaching like a steel band or you know, a c-band class at nyu or princeton or whatever or associate coaching and i walk out of the room the first thing i do is go down a deep well of insecurity about what i just said like and i it's something i don't talk about that often i mean you know my podcast is called concert honesty and i'm telling you about it but every time i leave the room i'm like fuck, fuck. Even if something goes well, I'm like, wah, like there's always something where you, you misdiagnose something in the room. And, and I'm good enough now to know that like, okay, I, it's going to take me a week to untease that thing, but it's only, Uh it's no problem. There's so early on, it was like, oh, that's going to take me years to undo. Oh no. You know? (laughs) And I mean, it's, it's it's, crazy. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I was just thinking this the other day, like the, the thing with like learning an instrument, like learning how to do anything like that's you um, is like, there's no amount of data. There's no amount of like research. I mean, maybe like having a teacher that's well-researched, but like, there's no way that anyone's experience can have you understand. Cause you're learning how to do it yourself. Like if you have, if you need to learn how to do a backflip, you, you can watch a bunch of physics videos on batch backflips, or you can like, there's not like a bunch of qualitative like research done and how to best do a backflip. So it's like, you just have to keep trying and figure out what happens. So it's all anecdotal. Like every, every music thing and hitting a drum, getting a good sound, it's all like anecdotal and there's no way to be like the best way or the worst way, or there's no, there is no way. It's just like whatever mm-hmm. your brain can comprehend and do. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's just tough because we live. Uh, well, we don't, but a lot a lot of us try to to go based on like the blankets of information where it's like, oh, we we tested the like law a lot of different small variables, and now we can kind of make an overarching trend and try to predict what's going to happen like in the future with something. Mm-hmm. But you're like, you can't with teaching. You're like, well, how can I get this kid to understand how to how to do this thing that like I never had to think about, or I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a tough thing with teaching because you're always trying to talk to people with a whole, whole different set of experiences. So, well, and, and the, everybody brings to the table their own personal traumas, their own personal joys, their own personal successes. Like, you know, you may have, you may see a flaw in someone's grip, but that particular flaw hasn't hindered them. Mm-hmm. And maybe are showing no signs that it's ever going to hinder them. And so is your responsibility in that moment to fix their grip or is it to focus on something else? You know, like, yeah. and um, somebody may be having a really bad day and not getting something, but you don't understand that when they go home, they're not eating and they may be getting verbally abused. You know, like, what is your role as a teacher in that moment? Like, ethically, what is your role? Is your role to to try to box off the life that you're dealing with in that moment and only talk about paradiddles or do you have to talk about paradiddles in the context of their life? You know, like it's, it's the struggle. I have it as a teacher. I, you know, I 
you know, it's way easier to do, I think, in a solo one-on-one thing than it is to walk. You know, the same thing applies when you walk in to coach a 20-person steel band. You're still dealing with 20 people who all have had individually bad or great days. Somebody practiced or didn't practice. Somebody practiced a lot and then shit the bed right in front of you. And they're all of a sudden, like, really fussed. So it's just a constant. You're trying to keep all the balls in the air and, you know, and pick the ones up that you drop. Uh, as quickly as you can, but um, anyway, but but one other thing I want to just clock here about you that I, uh, I I just sort of joked about asking you to do your drumming in canon with yourself um, oh, yeah. or offset from yourself. Um, I remember you. What year did you come to Sosi? Uh, it was the first year you did it. So it was the first year, two thousand nine, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a lifer, baby. You're, yeah. you're one of the, <laughs> I should. I, I have to personally thank you for trusting us that early on. Oh no, dude, it was great. Um, I love that. But yeah. you came in. What I remember from that is uh, you had way more hair than you have now, and yeah. you played third construction. Is that correct? Yeah. With Jacqueline and David Degg, I believe, and uh, with Victor and oh. Bob. 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 Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Um, I will say there's been. I can't say like you were a very good drummer at that point. Um, so I don't want to sound disingenuous here, but I feel like you're, you're more aware of the sound you're going to make now than you were then. When I see you play drums, I feel like, Oh yeah. Like that's what happens. You know, you, you are, you're, you know more about what you're going to sound like before you hit something than you did then. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's another thing that's like, I can't teach a student that I've, I couldn't teach myself that. I just had to do it. I've learned over time what I'm going to sound like and what I'm not going to sound like before I make that sound. And I'm curious for you, have you been, is that something that you've been tracking on your own? Like you've noticed different things or is it like been so organic? Like evolution is not something like that just happens. You wake up one day and all of a sudden you have a left foot. Like, no, that happened over hundreds of thousands of years, you know, for you, did you track that along the way or, um, Um, I mean, some of your experiences with it. I think it, I mean, it actually had to do with just being held accountable for the sound that you're making. And, um, so you can't put everything you do into one paragraph or whatever, but I I think a lot of it had to do with sort of positive and negative type reinforcement where like I started doing shows. Like I've I've Mm -hmm. been playing like a lot of shows. Mostly that's most of my work is doing pit stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, so just regional theaters all around and uh, every once in a while in the city and stuff. So it's like the, the first, so I was doing it all in Ohio, just these rinky dink, not community theaters, just no accountability. You play however you want. Nobody's going to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to heart and I did their show and it was like something, some kind of, I think it was Miss Saigon or something. And it was one of those just like, simple drum part but then mostly percussion mm-hmm. so like the the music director was like hey you actually play drums come come do the show uh, the, the summer thing with me so I, I ended up going doing the summer thing and it, it was like three different shows and the first one was like percussion and the second one was like a uh, pop show like footloose or something mm-hmm. and the third one was like an r&b show like uh dream girls and the second show this was like 2013 or something mm-hmm. And the second show, like I was sort of playing the way I, pr- normal preparation level for myself at the time. And, uh, he sends me a, an email halfway through being like, I got to get someone else for the sec, the next, the last show, because, you know, I, you're doing a good job, but like your, your sounds aren't right. You're mm-hmm. all these, you're, you're not play, you're hitting the symbol. He didn't say that, but you're hitting the symbol too hard and just things like that. And mm-hmm. so I really, 
had to sort of reassess what I was doing. Um, luckily, um, I had another year at heart. So I, I tried to do more shows with him over that year. And then he called me for the, the next year being mm. like, okay, I'll give you another. And then it just, we've been playing together ever since, but it's like the whole, it, it took me getting fired <laughs> from a gig to like, to sort of, uh, have to reconsider. And cause like, there's such a thing as too quiet and mm. playing quiet with like uh, a good sound is like being able to do a backbeat sound, like a rim shot backbeat, but like mezzo piano and consistent is just hard. It's like, you have to just practice that mm-hmm. by itself. And maybe I, I just didn't really have the concept and my hands weren't really there. The and rim, uh, the rim shot, the rim shot is the free throw of the music world. Like, yeah, like, yeah you know, you got to practice those. <laughs> yeah, no, you, have, you just have to do it. And like, it, you can't miss one. It's like, that's the yeah. word you can't, if missing, you miss a, it, you, missing a free throw is like the most, no matter how, like when Michael Jordan misses a free throw, you're like, even you're like, really bro. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> you're the best in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You really shouldn't miss those. You know, if, unless like, this is the, this is, I mean, no, the people listening can, can't see but this is what happens <laughs> everyone like turns like what everyone's head turns and you're yeah. like, oh, sorry i didn't mean to miss that they only notice them when they're not there you know yeah yeah so no, that's the whole i mean it took it took me kind of like having a lot of bad things like in terms of like negative reinforcement mm-hmm. before i started figuring out how to do it the right way because nobody sits there and shows you i mean they do but then it, the, their hands and their weight is different than yours and um the setting that they're playing in, like I was uh, playing with these, uh, there's this thing in Hartford where it's like a bunch of people get together and, and uh, mostly gospel scene drummers, they get together and set up all the drums in a circle and just shred mm-hmm. for like four hours. And it's awesome, but like has nothing to do with music theater. Like you, you can't like whack the drum in music theater stuff. You have to like, be, it just doesn't cross. So uh-huh. I was doing that and thinking, I was like, yeah, I can do this. And I was like, no, don't, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. So the context and yeah, I get, I think that was a long answer, but no, I mean, it's, the, I, yeah. I also just want to point out, like you've gotten criticism, excuse me, you've gotten some criticism feedback, oh, excuse me. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> sorry, Trump's coming up here. I read the news this morning. Oh, oh um, no. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but you've, you've had at bats. I mean, there's, there's, you can receive criticism. I've received criticism on my playing in school, except I only got to play the piece once. Yeah. You know, like that sucks. I mean, that, that's the, to me, that's the like Achilles heel of the university, um, system in the, in the sense that like you, you can prepare students as best you can by learning music theory and being exposed to different types of music and ensembles and all that stuff. But what I think school, and I don't know whether it's impossible to do, um, just by the nature of what a conservatory is. And it's certainly given all the discussions around education right now, I would posit that it's something we should push and struggle to try to figure out. But because I think the fact that you don't learn about that until you get in the real world is just like, if all you have to do is play that backbeat in the real world 50 times on 50 different shows, it's like, well, let's do that in school. Like take your marimba solo out and put it on the square and play for people. Like that's an at bat, put a tip jar out. If you make money, you played a gig, you know, yeah. like, um, just get at bats. I mean, cause that's, that's the like, you know, yeah, you can hit one home run. It's hitting 70, over the course of your life, I mean, without steroids, it's hitting <laughs> over the course of your life and having really shitty years where you hit 20 and, yeah. you know, and then having to make up for that over the course of your life, that gets you the sort of totality of your sound and whatnot. And I just feel like I've always been bummed 
my biggest disappointments in school were, you know, working for three months to play Raintree, coached by Bob yeah. at Yale. Memorized, first time I'd ever memorized a, an ensemble. Oh, piece, man. You know? And I walk out there, and within the first three minutes, it's all gone. All gone. I just blew over the F sharp changes in, uh, in Raintree. <laughs> and, and Joan oh, Panetti man. was sitting in the front row. Ooh, she didn't know the yeah. piece, but I got off stage, and Bob was like, Really? Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, really? <laughs> That's what happened. And that's a bummer. Like that that is discouraging enough, I think, for most musicians, including myself, to be like, nah, I'm done. Like Yeah, it's crazy, man. And and uh, like the, the after school, like I mean, this is sort of a long a more of a, my personal philosophy on just what I practice now and all that stuff. It's like I don't really practice repertoire the same way. Um I mostly practice like permutations and yeah. just chord like chop it's it's this uh, quarantine has been kind of great because I've been fine tuning some stuff I've been leaving aside for a little too long. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's been obviously hard for a lot of reasons, but the, the um, it, it's just been one of those things where I think that people don't really focus on the fundamentals enough in teaching. And then you go, you want to get to playing these hard marimba pieces and these hard snare drum pieces. But it's like, if you can't subdivide five and accent any note in the five, why are you trying to play fives? Like, what are you trying to do? I mean, I remember learning polyrhythms through Stuart Saunders Smith's music and I loved his music. And I, some of my favorite musical experiences were playing those pieces, but it's like, I remember I didn't get it right until I was in my second year of masters. Um, I remember doing it as like an undergrad and getting these fives that start on the second eighth note or whatever, mm -hmm. and having to cross the bar. And, and you, if you can't conceptualize this, the what's going on, you're just faking it. And you don't think anyone can tell, but he's sitting there with the score and he's like, <laughs> yeah, I can, that's a, uh, that five. Nah, that wasn't right. Or, it, it's just it was like, more of a four plus a one at the last minute, you know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <of> five. <laughs> it's like, you should be able to know. And I, and I, I actually take that. And I know we've been talking about drumming mostly, but I've been sort of trying to take that sort of honest, uh, honesty, self accountability for my own, Integ like musical integrity like mm -hmm. if i'm i sort of put it on myself to not play any bad notes unless it's like i mean you do sometimes but mm -hmm. it's just the if you have two octave d's or something and you just don't don't miss it like it's like, it's like it's a, try not to i mean you're going to at one point but mm -hmm. try not to and um be as accurate as you can in the way that you portray it so therefore that isn't one of the things that gets in the way of of people criticizing or listening to it or trying to enjoy their experience. So it's like, and that transcends music. I think that goes to like trying to, if you're going to talk about issues that are happening right now, or if you're going to talk about anything that just try to come from a place of, if you're going to say something, just make sure it's as close to right as you can be and then be willing to accept people going, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. And go, Oh yeah, sorry. I'll fix that. I'll, I'll, I'll correct my, my knowledge. And that's, I know I didn't want to, I don't, I don't know how much we want to go into it, but it's like the, you can go to it as much as you like. Yeah. But seeing the way people talk right now, it often comes from a place of reactionary kind of, uh, just reactionary. They see something, they, they immediately report. Um, so I've been finding something that I, is useful as like Google image search. If somebody shares a picture with a caption, just search the image. Half the time, it's not even the same thing. It's like some other unrelated 
thing. <laughs> and, and it's a simple thing to do, just trying to, and you're not, I'm not going to call everyone out, like, but just so I know, like, I'm not going to share some image of somebody got getting beaten up with, with no context. Like, it's just like, doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't, I don't know. I did, so, I've been seeing a lot of, um, uh, memes getting passed around to sort of, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what your, what your thought on this, but you know, I, I felt like I was in 2016, I was the only person in the group, uh, and in my, my immediate, like working colleagues in the new music world that knew Trump was going to win. And every time I said it, they laughed at me. And every time I was like, you're missing the boat here. I like the, it's the, like, when you call everybody a bigot, that approach. And then, and then when Trump won, um, I kept saying, I was like, I told you. And then they're like, well, we've told you the whole Midwest is racist. And I'm like, hold up a second, hold up a second. Like you're wrong. I, I, I mean, I, no, 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 you're not wrong. Yes, there are racists. I'm not arguing with you on that, but hold up a second. I, I told you what was going to happen. It happened. And now you're telling me the reason it happened. Like, don't you want to ask me? It's like I I knew the sun was going to come up, and and um, I have had I've just like the, I've been seeing so many memes being passed around by people in my own community that are like pictures of what you and I would probably affectionately re- refer to as white trash. Um, with, but I mean I grew up in places where the people that are being depicted in cartoonish ways exist. Like those uh-huh. are they're real people. Some are my relatives. Some of my relatives don't wear shirts when they go outside. Some do like, and some are overweight. Some aren't, you know, like some of them wear NASCAR hats. Some don't, you know, like it's, but then you see these, this one image has been going around and there's clearly like Photoshopped swastikas all over it and Confederate flags Photoshopped into it. And Trump 2020 Photoshopped into it. And it's like getting passed around and they're like, see, we got to get Trump. And I'm like, hold up a second. I'm with you on the Trump is bad thing. I get it. I'm with you. But the tool you're using is fake. It's not real. And I don't like, and then if you point it out, you're like, well, are you complicit in the, it's like, hold up a second. Like, we're not even talking about the, okay, fine. Share the fake meme. I don't care. Like, and I'm seeing it on both sides, but actually in my Facebook feed, just admitting it's siloed just like everybody else's, I try to unsilo it as best I can by not blocking anybody and accepting every friend request I get. It's pretty predominantly coming from the left on my feed. That doesn't mean that's that's not proof that that's true. Just on my feed, I see more fake memes coming out that are anti-Trump and anti other stuff that I'm just like, I can objectively prove with one Google image search that this was generated by a Russian bot. <laughs> like it doesn't take yeah. me but three seconds. It's um, not hard to figure out. And that that's like the moral of the story is, is it's not hard to find some of these. Some of them are, you know, some things are just not traceable because it's some guy's flip phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way to know like where some sources are, but for the most part, like we, we can find out pretty easily and with minimal effort. Um, and so, so it, even just having a conversation about um, how to move forward in the, in the situation that we're in is hard made harder by not representing the information correctly. And that's um, I think that just goes, there's so much of that in in any aspect and a parallel I like to draw in my brain. I haven't really said this out loud, but it's like with science movies, 
when they screw up all the science it's all fake and it's they're trying to get you to believe like some like the martian is an example right. yeah. where this I mean, is neil giant... degrasse tyson goes hard in the pain on some of these movies <laughs> oh yeah and i've been checking out some of his stuff so i might be uh taking some of his opinions but the oh, yeah. um there's a scene at the beginning where there's this giant windstorm on the martian mm-hmm. and it's just like it like knocks that's the whole point is it knocks like uh, matt damon or something yeah what's this is it him yeah uh, yeah martian is matt damon. Uh, he grows potatoes yeah. and poop i think yeah, yeah yeah and the potatoes and poop is the accurate thing they right yeah i know that's that. what we, yeah <laughs> they got they that right but the wind <laughs> yeah. in space they didn't get right <laughs> where did they, this wind come from where like, did fire in space come from doesn't fire need oxygen <laughs> Yeah, where like, did the no sound atmosphere. of wait why is there sound up here <laughs> yeah uh, it totally doesn't make any sense shouldn't this so whole they, thing be in silence shouldn't this be a silent film <laughs> yeah yeah there's a there's a lot that and i just wish that distracts me i mean that movie gets enough rights and the and they actually get the what i think is cool is they get the the relationship of the astronauts they get that you're stuck together with the same people for however long so yeah. you develop this sort of code word and everyone's nobody freaks out over things because you are trained to not freak out and so anytime you see a movie of astronauts like ah, you know freaking out over something you're like that's not gonna happen that's not how it works yeah and to, to draw the parallel is like if we actually try to do our best to accurately portray what's really happening in the world um it makes a easier time having the conversation about like um, racial inequality and dis- mm-hmm. and discrimination and systemic discrimination because we're not basing it off of our own eyes and our own experiences. Like it's like I don't have the same set of experiences that people who have gone through this do. So I have to, I think it's like my job to listen to people and to try to. And we've actually been asked, and I, I, I think I watched one of your podcasts the other day. Um, who was that? Hoyt was uh, Sheldon, Sheldon Hoyt. Hoyt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and um, he he gets into this a little bit, but it's like you're only going off of your your own experience. Mm-hmm. And um, what my friends have asked who have gone through this have basically said, like, we've been saying this stuff for years. Nothing's really changed. Or little has changed. So it's your turn to say something. It's your turn to, to help us because we've been trying and we, we've had uh, black faces in high places, so to say. We've had um, the president like, and it's still go, it's still happening. So like the, what we're doing isn't enough. And it's like, like sort we, of we, falls took, on. we literally took a knee and you told us to play football. Yeah, exactly. You called so it's like bitches and said, get off the field like. You do have to like th- this is the this is where when the one one folks on the right push back against that like there's a little that's where I'm like hey 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 let's just recognize an objective truth you didn't have to you, I'm not asking you to agree with Colin Kaepernick's protest mm-hmm. I want you to agree that that was about as benign a protest as a human being could do in public literally literally just bending down and taking a knee and you all exploded. So let's just, let's just put this like on the spectrum of like what you consider to be violent protest to nonviolent protest. Colin Kaepernick's like way over here. Uh (laughs) And so I just need us to like understand, like you can't be surprised. We don't have to agree with the response, but you can't be surprised. That's what, that's where I'm like, come on now. Like people, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's it shouldn't be a surprise, and I mean, and like I feel like people who go through academia, we're we've sort of developed a 
a trust system of data. So like, even if, even if I don't know, listening to a lot of different people helps, but it's also like looking at the data helps to, to, to point out that it's actually happening. Like you, there's, there's a big argument with whether or not it's real or not. And mm-hmm. I think that <clears throat> that's a, that argument is based on no, no evidence because it is <laughs> like based on the data. Like we know a lot about the sun. We can predict it's going to have a grand solar minimum this year by a degree of like 20 Watts, like because of sunspots, we like we're going off of evidence to be able to make predictive information about with like, there's so much research going into like uh, racism in this country specifically where we have criticized that as much as you want, like in terms of like, Oh yeah, maybe it's easy to get published by doing that. It's harder to get published with the opposing view. So you can argue for the leftism of academia all you want, but we have this mountain of information that then is our job to sort through and figure out, like, it's not all true. It's like, leave it to scrutiny. Like everything is not true that you read. All studies aren't right. Most of them are wrong. Like that's the idea of studying. You, like you, you ag- study something. Aggregate the most amount of information you can get. Yeah. And then what the overarching consensus is probably is pointed in the right direction. Like, yes. like it's, I'm saying it's hard to be definitive if I'm not looking at all the data about something, but like by and large, when I look at, I don't know, it's just like any, any decision I've made in my life has been based on looking like you look at a whole room of soci students and you're like, okay, like you're scanning the room. You have to like, yeah, everybody in here, there's a few folks. I think like you can see, you can make a judgment and be like, all right, there's a couple folks I, I just need to keep an eye on. Not sure why yet. And then the court, the two weeks goes by and you're like, oh, you know, this this thing I thought made sense. Turns out I was wrong, but I was right about this other thing. And it's like it's by constantly like zooming in, zooming out, zooming in, zooming out, zooming in, zooming out. And if you that's a skill just like learning how to bench press, like you, you yeah. start off bench pressing the bar. And so like if every day everybody could challenge themselves to be like, I'm going to obsess about something on the minutia, but Every time I do that, I'm. It's like having the the rubber band on your wrist. Like, yeah. if you obsess <laughs> yeah. about the minutia, whack! Like, you got to zoom out and and force yourself to be like, how does this? Does it apply to the big picture at all? Because sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there's it's an outlier. That's why outliers yeah. are called outliers. You know. Yeah. But if you don't do both, if you're not constantly looking at the big picture and the small picture, um, I don't know. It's just it, it's where you can get in these circular. Just to bring it back to my apology to ahead of time oh, at the beginning yeah. was like if you if you're constantly just in the loop, your own loop of reinforcement. I think it's the danger of confirmation bias on social media. It's the danger of confirmation bias when you're playing in a chamber music group and you've played one type of music your whole life and you feel like you feel like that's the most important thing. Yeah. And then you talk to somebody and you're like, why don't you think Steve Reich is as important as I do? It's like, well, because I've had my bias about it just reinforced by being in a car with three other guys who are like, Steve Rice is great, you know? And so of course that's, I just need to acknowledge that as my bias. It does not mean Steve Rice is a bad thing. It just means yeah. I've, I've had a lot of it. Like I, it's a diet I've, I've almost eaten exclusively since I joined the group. So I just, am going to change my diet up or be aware that my diet isn't that, that, that varied, you know? And I just wish, I wish that this was, a, I, I wish humans were more um, aware of, this it's just a wish i i'm man i'm yeah. racist i do think like i these the conversations about being racist and and white people needing to own this thing i've i've known i was racist since i was 19 
Like I was a, I was one white kid in an entire Trinidadian panyard, and I understand. I was like, oh, this is why I have the li- the lizard brain part of me fires up, and I see somebody walking down an alley that I don't recognize in in Brooklyn or wherever, and I'm like, oh, ah! you know, that's hundreds of thousands of years of DNA being passed down to me that I have to now, like bench press, go no. <laughs> Be a person. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I have the same thing if I see someone that I think is attractive. Oh, you know, nope. Yeah. Push that down. Don't be a maniac. You know, like yeah. you get mad because someone says something racist. That makes me angry. And if the same reaction for me is to go, <gasps> like, I feel like I need to be like, let's talk. Why do you think that? Oh, it turns out you learned that. Let's talk about that. You know? And if I just am always going, oh, oh, like <laughs> all the yeah. time, like it's exhausting for me personally. It's exhausting. It's anxiety inducing. And I, I'm just bad at functioning in those those worlds. I agree. I mean, and that's like to, to sort of talk about the social media thing just briefly. Um, I know we're probably at the end, close to the end of the time or whatever. But um, the uh, it's like the, I, the echo chamber effect that's a common word, word where you say something and kind of creates a feedback loop. So the people that like what you like mm-hmm. also like the same thing. And then they see what you put and then you see what they put. And it's sort of like this. Big they, your thing gets shared loop. by one of your friends, except if you don't see who shared it, it's like, Oh cool. Dorian shared it. And then, then you saw Dorian share it. And then you share that. And it's like, <laughs> it's just a, it's all, it's a little bit of inbreeding in terms just, just of. To intellect- be clear, I love Dorian. I, Oh I, yeah, no, he's great. <laughs> he, he, first like five minutes on a podcast. He was, I was like, so are you an, are you a free speed absolutist? And he's like, yep. And then about five minutes in it, he was like, actually I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And that's a, you know, the whole censorship on social media is another, another issue, but that, yeah, I mean, he's, he's very, um, he gets really in, invested in researching and mm-hmm. finding out stuff. And then it's like, once he puts those blinders on for whatever he's looking at, it's sort of, sometimes <laughs> it gets blinders and he's just like, Oh, I could imagine super you, in. you guys at like Thanksgiving dinner, just like you, you basically agree on stuff. And then there's a point where you're just like, fuck you, Dorian. Yeah. <laughs> there's a <laughs> chicken leg yeah. flying across the table. Yeah. <laughs> Catch a bottle. Um, uh, yeah. The, so I guess it's like the, the, the something, and I don't know if this is a good thing or not, um, mm-hmm. but something I've been trying myself is going into these groups, not anonymously. I know people create like burner accounts to like go and talk to like alt writers mm-hmm. and go and talk to these uh, blatant, ex, um, explicitly racist people. Like going on, the, like Dorian and, was saying, he goes on the website like Dor- the Daily Stormer and like like legit Nazi. Yeah, like that's too far for me because those people don't really listen to reason. <laughs> so I'm sorry. They just don't like, yeah. I, not all, some of them do. I've met a couple, but, um, but I've been trying to like branch out and just have the conversation with people mm. about it and just using, using more of a, but every once in a while I'll, I'll, I'll be like, burn the system down, you know, <laughs> cause I, I do. And then I corrected it later. I think I said like, um, don't burn it down. Just dismantle it. Have it be a controlled demolition. But I like fire, so so you can still burn it down. Like still burn it, but just. Control I just want to recognize here, like like you do need to admit whenever you're like burn it down, you got to be like. But I also really like fire, so just know that. Like, yeah. <laughs> fire is the thing I like, so I, I like burning things. It's nothing to do with destruction. Let's, let's yeah. put it in a frame. We need to know what we're talking about. What's the context around it, Elliot? Here, yeah. So that's kind of an and that. that this is like, you could jump around with this thought process at all you want, but the thing that really tipped me to, to trying this tactic and I, to whatever degree of success, who knows. Um, but 
is knowing about the, I think it was 2013 or something like that, the, the, when the Egyptian revolution happened, mm-hmm. that actually started because of a Facebook group that actually started from social media spreading this idea. And then the 2016 election that was swayed by a lot of these misinformation and all this false news. And then if you look at the, the rise of Putin, that was the same kind of thing, this misinformation, mm-hmm. false news kind of thing, the echo chamber of social media creates these pockets of thought and belief that then they're able to uh, strengthen and empower these kind of thinking. So it's like, if you just go in and just share a meme that they don't see before and then get these guys fighting on your wall, then you have, then suddenly they're exposed to a a wider variety of, you kind of mess with the algorithm a little bit Mm -hmm. by engaging them. And it's annoying on my wall when I have, I I had to, there's some people I had to cut where I, I, this guy was like sharing all these videos to my wall. And I was like, you can't just do that all the time. Sorry, were they, man. Like, were, were the videos like obscene or? Uh, yeah, they were violent. They were, they try to take like videos of black people being violent to white people oh, yeah. and being like, here's my proof that this is happening. I'm like, right. okay, that's, that's evidence for that specific case, but that is not an overarching trend. Anyway, it's hard to toss the data point on the pile and let's see where. It, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Where it measures up. So, but that's kind of been my, one of the tactics I've been trying to do online because I know my social media is very just random. It's like I share whatever I want Mm -hmm. at any point. And I never really thought about having a directive for it or I never really, and Instagram's kind of died for now. I, whatever, I haven't really been using it Mm -hmm. that much. Um, But I just trying to engage people on maybe my side, but on the opposites, like on opposite kind of thought, like maybe further on each side, like, more left and more right and just trying to get people talking and then so when i share like i said it it broadens their algorithm because i know it's not them making the decisions it's not me making the decisions it's the algorithm that tells you what to see and it's part of the frustrating thing i mean just the the truth i mean algorithms aren't alive they're not a thing that makes decisions it just channels it like funnels information to you based on a like you pressed a one so it's going to send you a zero and it learns that like you keep pressing one, it's like the mice that like go to the water that has cocaine in it, or it goes to the water that just is regular water. Yeah, they go to the cocaine, they get addicted. Yeah. And when people are sent a meme that pisses them off and makes them think, like the Photoshop Nazi white trash meme, if that makes you engaged with their platform because you're pissed off, that's the same as cocaine in the water. And I think it's I, I listen. I've been at the feed trough. I know what it's like to get addicted. Yeah. You know, I was, my Facebook profile picture is Josh Lyman from West Wing. It was because I was watching West Wing in 2006 when Facebook came to Yale. It was only at Harvard and Yale and Stanford yeah. and at the Ivy League schools. And I set that account up and I watched it go from coffee pictures and a like, I just went to the bathroom as like your status update, <laughs> you know, stuff like yeah. that. To it evolved in real time to become this thing that is predominantly, and I, I think this is maybe Facebook and Twitter. Instagram somehow has managed to sort of skirt the volatile, vitriolic grossness of humanity by and large. But it, at least in my 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 yeah. experience with it. But Facebook, so there's something about the algorithm where it reinforces like we can teach it. Like if we had a if we had a like government program to be like fine, we're not going to regulate Facebook. What we're going to do is teach our populace how to communicate on Facebook properly. Or, well, I mean, that. sorry, let me back up. And the government telling people how to communicate properly is scary. That usually never goes well. 
But if we as a society decided like, well, let's hack the algorithm. Let's teach it. It tells us it's doing what we ask it to do. What if we all stopped clicking on those memes? That's the trick. Like, yeah, yeah, and I, it's that? hard. But if you so, I, it was funny. Um, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, I prior to the George Floyd murder, I I decided to try an experiment and be like, I'm not going to like any posts. I'm not going to comment on any posts. Just I want to see what happens after a week to my algorithm, bro. It was it got down to three people. The the bottom of the wow. Facebook algorithm is just three statuses just kept coming over and over and over again. And I was Wild. I felt like I was like, you know, that scene in Silence of the Lambs where that he's like put the lotion on the skin and you look down. <laughs> like I felt like oh, I was no. I was in that hole in someone's basement with my dog, like, help. <laughs> like there's nobody it wasn't scary. It was just like, I don't even know who these three people are on my like it, but it just kept the same three over and over and over again. And then I liked another post, and it was like a deluge. It was like I had found a secret portal, and all of a sudden the algorithm was like, you're back. And yeah, it's like we found you. Yeah. yeah, and it was over, and it was amazing to me how quickly I, it went back to you know, crazy memes yeah. and, and whatnot. You sneezed in, the, in the, the wall in the Matrix when you were trying to get past the agents and cipher sneezes. That's you should try. I, I, recommend, yeah. <laughs> I, I recommend the like just do the – wall yourself off once and just be like I'm just going to – I'll still be on. I'll just scroll. And then, yeah. and then try some things like what happens when you scroll and you stop on a page but you don't actually click on it. Because yeah. Facebook, like so percussion, we know how, how long someone's cursor hovered over a thumbnail. It's called metadata. Yeah. So so does Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so try that once. See what happens when you just hover over an Adidas post. <laughs> and then, That's terrifying. dude, yeah. three pictures later, you're going to see a picture that you took, that I took. I did it once. I hovered over an Adidas ad, and about three posts later was a picture of me that I took wearing red Adidas. Wow. With another Adidas ad right after it for red Adidas. Oh. And it's like, okay, all right. Yeah, I don't know what I did, but something – I keep getting ads for um, ladders – Home Depot just, they all, I don't know what I did, but they just, it's literally the same ad. I, I started taking pictures of it because maybe that's why, because I started taking pictures of screenshots of this guy Luke, with a ladder being like, come to the Home Depot, get a ladder. <laughs> so that's been like weeks. I don't know what's going on. It's, I think it's this like, is, <laughs> again, we shouldn't judge Facebook off of these two anecdotal data points, but my yeah. suspicion is if I had a, if I had a hypothesis, hypothesis is that if we threw these data points on the pile, I think we would all trust Facebook and the data we get way less. I think if we yeah. all realize how many of us were getting ads for like, you know, psoriasis and gout and like <laughs> colostomy bags. I get colostomy bag ads. Well, you know, never you never know. My dad when, had uh, ALS. He didn't have a colostomy bag. Yeah. Like what why don't I get like wheelchair ramps ads sent yeah. to me, you know? <laughs> it's a it's a fascinating world, but I, I guess to kind of hone it in is is to it's like the whole idea of all it takes sometimes to find out what is true and what is not true is just type it into Google. If I, if I could have like a perfect system, it would be like, okay, the share button opens Google with the title of the thing in the search bar and you just have to press enter and then you, you could share one of those things. That's cool. No, I like you, I, to me, this is where, like when we talk about when people say things like uh, Facebook, we need to dismantle Facebook. I'm like, okay. But wouldn't it be Good easy? <laughs> wouldn't it be what? But what if? How much fa- better would Facebook be if, before you shared or, or anytime anybody shared a post, let's make it as easy. To, let's keep it as easy to share things, right? But let's we also we know the metadata. Let's say if Elliot Wallace shares a post about how 
terrible the Democrats are, right? Democrats are terrible for nominating Bernie because you're a Bernie bro. I'm not saying you are. I don't actually know. But that's your stance. Except when you share it, there's a little note that says Elliot Wallace read the first paragraph of this essay. Oh, yeah. A little verification. Yeah. Just so like – just so you know, Elliot did not read this article. Like, like how much I, – I'm just curious psychologically. If I knew how much you read the article, I would be like, oh, I'm not going to get invested in Elliot's crazy thing. He didn't even read the damn article. Yeah, he but didn't if read it. Says, it. <laughs> but, if, but if the metadata says, you know, Elliot Wallace read this article three times, okay, I'll listen. Like, you can still say the same crazy thing, but I'll listen, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know if that's – It's that, wild, man. That's not a bad idea. I mean, I think that's like – Maybe that's – I don't know if any kind of conversations like this are happening. I know that for a long time they've been trying to um, do the free speech thing, being like we're not responsible for what people – it's like Pirate Bay where mm-hmm. like, OK, we know people are sharing movies, but it's just a platform. Well, we can't control people sharing movies and I, I – mean, I, but it's that's like, like so that's space. like creating a city street and being like, well, we can't control if people sell drugs here. Yeah, well, yeah, we can't control <laughs> that people crash into cars. We didn't play the line Except anything, you but, do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't put a stop sign. Yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. Because yeah, my neighbor, my neighboring street, they just put stop signs and people are like they're just flying through it. <laughs> I'm well, like, Come the, on, guys. the argument you mentioned censorship. <laughs> the argument around regulating Facebook very quickly goes to censorship. And when I think it's like, no, 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 okay, I actually do. I'm not a free speech absolutist, but I think policing language historically can be dangerous when not done well, and when language is implemented by a government, it all depends on who's in power. But I think regulating we can how is telling everybody how many times you've read an article regulating free speech it's not what it's, it's doing not. is putting some sort of um uh there's capital there like your 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 sort of uh, authority on this particular statement we're just going to call a ball or a strike you swung three time, times at this and you missed every time but you're yeah. welcome to keep swinging but if there's somebody else who hits a home run every goddamn time they walk up there I'm going to keep pitching to that guy. Like I'm going to, I want that guy on my team. I don't want you on my team. You can be on my team, but I don't need to listen to you. If you're just going to keep sharing shit, you've never read. All you're doing is stating an opinion, which you're within your rights to, but I'm also within my rights not to listen. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, it's like, we'll see what ends up happening in the long run for sure. I mean, I don't really have any kind of speculation that I can, that any have any, I don't have any evidence for knowing what's going to happen. Like, cause I don't think anyone really does at this point. Like nobody really knows. And that, that all we're, all we're doing is speculative. And um, so it's like, and that's the hard thing about like sociology and like studying human behavior is like, it's almost like quantum physics, like observing it kind of screws it up. So like, and we're living in it We're we're a part, it's, it would almost be easier if we were like, studying australians or something like because we're not involved you know it's, it's, it's also like, like just again like having been again i i do not i i, I want to say this not i'm not ab, ad, abdicating mark zuckerberg of any responsibility he has this is his company and he's responsible for it in the same way i'm responsible for so percussion if so percussion was causing the downfall of democracy i would like to think i would want to do something about it well you should probably do something about it <laughs> yeah. well, I, th- I would think democracy doesn't even know we exist so i think we're probably okay for a second but um if but just from the empathy side of things like it's also it's hard for me to like mark i was there i mean it was a it was an app that was to just comparing hotness between i mean that's that's obscene and stupid 
Yeah. But if somebody had told Mark Zuckerberg, hey, bro, you need to build in some stuff with this this hotness comparing app of yours because the Russians might use it to elect a game show host. Like, like Dude, it's wild. Like, there was no – again, I do, I'm not – they got to fix their shit. But this idea that like you're, you can predict or know the ramifications of what's happening, um, to me, it's just it's – just, it's so messy. And I do think now there are little things we can do to help hold ourselves accountable that don't – censor speech and don't make anybody feel like they can't voice an opinion that's slightly dissenting from what seems to be the consensus, you know, on some platform where you don't even know who these people are, you know. And if we can just sort of like that to me seems to democratize the more information we have just about what it is people are sharing seems to me to be at least a next step. But again, I'm a drummer. I don't know how much I I have, (laughs) have the ability to fix this stuff other than to talk about it. And Elliot, um, again, I'm grateful for you coming on on the podcast and talking about this stuff, and you're welcome to anytime um, as we move forward here uh, in life. Um, we're all making it up as we go, and so I may ask you for some help at, help at some point to help me oh, make it up. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, I enjoyed chatting with you, buddy. Stay safe. Um, is there is there a place where folks can sort of find more out about you online? Um, uh, probably the most representative of my playing is Instagram. Although I do just post random things. It's like, uh, Elliot dot underscore dot Wallace Instagram. So, uh, fancy bro. I know. I just, I, my name was taken already. So I just (laughs) added some characters, but yeah, that's probably the best place. Cause I mean, my website's super out of date and I just, yeah, I don't really use it that much. So, um, it's mostly Instagram, Facebook, if you want to have some political conversations, but, uh, mostly, uh, for for the drumming, it's that. So yeah, and I think if you're a drummer, uh, if you're just a nerdy drummer and you want to see somebody drum really well, I, your videos, I, I you shoot them from overhead, and um, and the videos are like they're really really great. So I think if you like that and you you don't want to talk about politics or think about Facebook uh, ethics, just watch Elliot drum. You won't regret it. Um, so Elliot, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Be safe, be healthy, and um, and I hope to talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, man. Have a have a have a great day. Thanks right. for having me on. You got yeah. it, buddy. Take it easy. Bye. Okay, this podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. LiquidDrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Hilarious vids, awesome pedagogy. Check it out. LiquidDrum.com. Also, DunleavyPans.com. D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y-Pans.com. Kyle makes and builds all of the drums that I teach on and play on in soap percussion and at Princeton and NYU. Check it out. DunleavyPans.com. And finally, PanInMotion.com. Spreading the word about pan, uh, advocacy, you name it. PanInMotion.com. Okay, hope you're well. We'll talk to you soon.